Talk 1110-993-WBT, The Pete Callender Show. This is it, hour number two, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. You can email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. And remember, get the podcast at wbt.com. And then you just uh, you click on podcasts and you find my name. And Well, I mean, you could just follow all of our podcasts. This is very easy to do. The Charlotte Observer, a.k.a. the McClatchy Newspaper's editorial board, it is a combined board with the Raleigh News and Observer, and uh, I think that's it. I forget who all is on it. At least they've started identifying who writes these things, at, at least the board members. They never tell you exactly who wrote the particular parts of a of an editorial. And honestly, I'm of kind of two minds on this. On the one hand, I don't think editorials serve really any purpose whatsoever. I I don't care what your opinions are. Seriously. Like, I, I don't care to have an edi- a bunch of people sitting around and, oh, well, we're the editors, so we're going to, you know, to tell you the way things should be. And I, I'm going to tell you my our opinion, our collective opinion. And we speak for the Charlotte Observer, but it's not the news department. It's the, it's the opinion pages or whatever. Just, well, then just write some columns under your own name. Just employ columnists or just employ... Or, or get syndicated columnists, or get community columnists. I, I don't. I don't think the, ju- the juice is worth the squeeze on that. Oh, but whatever. On the other hand, it is nice to know what their biases are, and they put them, you know, pen to paper, and you get to see it. And you're like, wow, okay, this is what's guiding their philosophy on this stuff. So that's good to know. On the other hand, so like I said, I'm of a two, of two minds on that. <laughs> I could see both of the angles. So they wrote a piece the other day. Smearing all North Carolinian uh, Republicans, and I guess as people who vote Republican as well, even the unaffiliated who may vote for Republicans, I guess everybody is now defined as an extremist by the McClatchy editor, uh, editorial board. A part, th- 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 this is what they say. In so many respects, Madison Cawthorn and Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson define what the North Carolina Republican Party has become, a party of extremism. A party of extremism. Um, I would submit that if you are unable to define a woman, you might be the extremist. Just going to throw that out there. A party that, despite everything, has stood by former President Donald Trump. Yeah, now do Bill Clinton, you hacks. How about or how about Barack Obama with the uh, spying on the uh, IRS and the Fast and Furious gun running program and the Iran deal? And I mean, just don't even get me started, you guys. You guys cast stones at the GOP for doing the exact same thing that you do for Democrats. And and you allow Democrats to do. And I've got that's all in the stack today. I'm not even going to get to the Supreme Court nomination hearing day three. I mean, it's, it's not even worth my time now because now it's full blown. Oh, I can't believe they're treating her worse than anyone ever. That's that's what the Democrats are arguing. Are you going to go after them? How is how is that a rational, reasonable position after we saw a nominee literally accused of gang rape? You're going to tell me asking this woman about the sentences that she handed down as a judge. And now she's up for a position as a judge and you're not allowed to ask her about her judgment. It's ridiculous. Are you going to play the are you going to play the condemn uh, or the uh, the defender disavow game. You going to play that? D or D? You know, like D and D, but it's D or D. Disavow 
or defend. That's the game they love playing with Republicans. And finally, Republicans, and this is what I, I suspect, this is sort of the, the, the kernel at the center of this, uh, of this argument, which is they're mad that Republicans have stopped playing along with it. See, I am under, first off, I'm a registered unaffiliated. I have voted in Democrat primaries. I have voted in Republican primaries. I used to be a libertarian. Before that, I was a Republican. And before that, while not a registered Democrat, but I considered myself to be a liberal back in college, like everybody else. So I've been all over the map on this stuff, particularly because I was trying to figure out my philosophy. And I was in college. I was learning stuff. And uh, as I got older and I did more research and I examined political philosophy and general philosophy, I came to a limited government viewpoint. Unfortunately, there's not one party that just simply focuses on limited government. So, but by and large, one party does at least pay that lip service. And some of its members that do get elected do try to limit the size and scope of government. So they tend to get more of my support. That's why I tend to be a fellow traveler with a lot of Republican voters and conservative voters. But not always. Not all the time. But I guess I'm an extremist now. I'm, I'm counted as an extremist. Because, what, I don't make everything about Donald Trump. I do not suffer from Trump derangement syndrome two years after he's out of office. But, Pete, he still could run again. And if he runs again, then we'll deal with it. I will I will cover the stories that he's a part of. But right now, no. Right now, I don't view everything through the prism of Trump. Apparently, some within the party are unhappy with that branding, at least behind the scenes, a.k.a. a civil war. Right? As if this is new, by the way. This is what kills me. I remember having a discussion with a guy who was a... Progressive talk show host, he was, I used to call him my comrade through the glass because he was literally on the other side of the glass from me and he would do an afternoon show in Asheville on a progressive talk station and I did my show on the conservative talk station. And um, we he was like three feet just on the other side of this window that separated the two studios. And I remember I would have these really weird conversations with him and I would always walk away thinking... How the heck does this guy get on the air and talk about anything with any kind of conviction? And then I learned or understanding of, an, of the issue because every time I talk to him about a particular topic, it becomes very clear he has no idea what he's talking about. And I don't mean that like, oh, I you know beat him in an argument so he didn't know what he's talking about. I mean, he literally doesn't know what he's talking about. So I, I would so I started like asking him questions about things, saying, oh, hey, like who do you like? What are the different groups of the the three legs of the stool, the Reagan coalition? Who he had no idea, had never even heard of the concept. But he gets on the air and he opines about the problems that the Republican Party has and the civil war that's occurring. Now, anybody who's been in the Republican Party and been around Republican politics knows these divisions have existed for a very, very long time. But they were factions got united to fight communism. That was the glue that held the Reagan coalition together. And when the you know, Soviet Union fell, uh, the glue kind of went away. Although it seems like it's making a comeback now, thanks in large part to a lot of our progressive friends in America. Yeah. Cawthorn and Robinson, they say, may have positioned themselves as future leaders of the party, but it was hardly a hostile takeover. Yeah, it's interesting. The most powerful man in the state, on the one hand, is State Senator Phil Berger, or it's Tim Moore. But now I guess it's Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson and Madison Cawthorn. 
They can, they need to they need to pick who the boogeyman is. Who is the puppet master? Because it seems like it just changes depending on whatever particular fiction they're trying to construct. D or D, that's the uh, the name of the game that the media loves to play with with Republicans. Defend or disavow. Those are your options. If a Republican says something, anything, that I deem to be offensive in some way, then I'm going to force you, fellow Republican, who you don't know that other person, you just happen to be in the same political party. You could be on the other side of the continent, and it doesn't matter. I'm going to demand that you play D or D. And if you don't play, then your silence is complicity. So what's happening now is Republicans are not playing the game any longer. They're starting to not play this game. And it's really driving some of these media folks mad because they come sort of, especially in the print world, they have a a very old school, let's call it, way of thinking about their role that, that they can... They direct the the culture, and they can force policy. They can force discussions. We need to have a national conversation on fill-in-the-blank. And it's always something they want to talk about. And when they say that, it's, it's indicative of an approach that they want to take in having that conversation, usually with a directed outcome. So making Madison Cawthorn and Mark Robinson the face of the Republican Party that's largely a media creation. Now, look, I get it. They're, they're popular inside certain areas of the Republican Party. But there's a very interesting sort of paradoxical argument being made right now that there are some in the Republican Party that don't like Madison Cawthorn, but he's also the face of the party. And so is Mark Robinson. But then there are some other people that don't like him, too. So it's like there's a civil war inside the GOP, while at the same time, everybody's in lockstep behind these two guys. This is this is the fiction it's because it's in service. It's postmodernism. It's in service to the tearing down of an institution. And that is one that opposes the postmodernist view. And that is the Republican Party. So that's why you have this sort of chaotic, uh, paradoxical approach. These two competing ideas that are somehow both true in the minds of the McClatchy board of editors. They gave the Republicans gave them a platform. Dude, guys. Anybody can run for office as a member of a party. Hello, Chris Anglin. You remember that guy? Democrat, switched his party affiliation to Republican to try to suck votes away from the North Carolina Supreme Court justice who lost to Anita Earls. Anybody can register as a member of any party. And the party... In case you are unaware of this, after covering politics for so long, the party is there to advance the party ideas. And if Madison Cawthorn is able to bring people in, look, I get it. He's, oh, he's gross to some people. He's icky. Look, his tactics, you may not like. His, his rhetoric, you may not like. But there are some people in the Republican Party and some people who vote for Republicans and some people who generally vote Democrats, but like him, particularly out in the western part of the state, They are registered Democrats, but they will vote for Madison Cawthorn because he's a local kid or they know him. 
or they like what he says. These are Trump Democrats. So you may not like it, but there's a part of the base that does. There's a part of the Republican Party that does, a part of the voting population that does. Same thing with Donald Trump. He wasn't my cup of tea. Trump was not my cup of tea. I did not vote for Donald Trump, did not like him. And I did not vote for Hillary Clinton. She was terrible too. But I said, I'm going to sit this out and I'm going to see what everybody decides and I'm going to treat him as fairly as I can. And that gave me room to not suffer from Trump derangement syndrome. So I found myself in this position of being able to say, oh, you know what? I like the judges. Oh, you know what? I like the uh, some of the immigration policy. Oh, I like I like some of these things he did. Oh, and I don't like some of these other things. I'm allowed to do that. The party gave their most radical members the tools to dismantle democracy. Now I now I know you're unserious. When you the, all you're doing is carrying water for Democrat talking points to dismantle democracy. They gave them a platform, helped fund their campaigns, and looked the other way when they strayed into vitriolic territory. They let people like Cawthorn and Robinson become the face of the Republican Party. How? How exactly does Robinson and Cawthorn, quote, become the face of the party without the media? How does that happen? They became the face of the party because of you guys. You realize that, just like Trump did. Just like Jeff Zucker at CNN helped launch the campaign of Donald Trump, the presidency of Donald Trump made Trump the reality TV star that he was, which then he, you know, used as a platform, and they promoted him and all this and all the interviews and all that. And then, I can't believe people know who this guy is. I say this all the time. Elections are about what media make them, okay? And what media is trying to do is make the next election about Madison Cawthorn and Mark Robinson and how terrible they are. And you know what's going to happen? People are going to stop listening to you because they they see sort of the game that you run And then they just reject everything that comes from you. So you end up just talking to your own little echo chamber. That's what you're doing over there. You're talking to your your subscribers. And I get it. It's easier to do. Safer. No one's going to, you know, show up with the pitchforks or pink slips to get you fired for or canceled for saying something that goes against what the audience believes. So this is a very easy position to take. Unlike, for example, just to pick one random example, me saying I don't like Donald Trump on some stuff, and I didn't vote for him. This is a little bit less risky of a proposition. All right, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Joe Biden, President uh, Biden, is speaking right now after meeting with NATO allies. We join that live. To fortify the eastern flank of our NATO allies, who were obviously very, very concerned and somewhat at worried of what would happen. We accomplished all three of these. And today, we're determined to sustain those efforts and to build on them. The United States is committed to provide over $2 billion in military equipment to Ukraine since I became president. Anti-air systems, anti-armor systems, ammunition, and our weapons are flowing into Ukraine as I speak. And today, I'm announcing the United States is prepared to commit more than $1 billion in humanitarian assistance to help get relief to millions of Ukrainians affected by the war in Ukraine. Many Ukrainian refugees will, uh, 
will wish to stay in Europe, closer to their homes. But we've also will welcome 100,000 Ukrainians to the United States with a focus on reuniting families. And we will invest $320 million to bolster democratic resilience and defend human rights in Ukraine and neighboring countries. We're also coordinating with the G7 and the European Union on food security as well as energy security. And I'll have more to say about that tomorrow. We're also announcing new sanctions of more than 400 individuals and entities aligned with, in alignment with the European Union. More than 300 members of the Duma, oligarchs, and Russian defense companies that fuel the Russian war machine. In addition to the 100,000 U.S. forces now stationed in Europe to defend NATO territory, NATO established, as you already know, four new battle groups in Romania, Hungary, Bulgaria, and Slovakia to reinforce the Eastern Front. Putin was banking on NATO being split. My early conversation with him in December and early January it was clear to me he didn't think we could sustain this cohesion. NATO has never, never been more united than it is today. Putin is getting exactly the opposite what he intended to have as a consequence of going into Ukraine. We've built that same unity with our European, the European Union and with the leading democracies of the G7, in the G7. So I want to thank you, and I'll be now happy to take your questions. Since there's so many people out there, I'm going to be given a list. Now, how about Chris of the Associated Press? First question. Hi, thank you, Mr. President. So you've warned about the real threat of chemical weapons being used. Have you gathered specific intelligence that suggests that President Putin is deploying these weapons, moving them to position or considering their use? And would the U.S. or NATO respond with military action if he did use chemical weapons? Say red line. Say you know, red line. the first question, I can't answer that. I'm not going to give you intelligence data. Good call, Number Joe. One. Number two, we would respond. We would respond if he uses it. The nature of the response would depend on the nature of the use. Uh, Good Josh answer. of Bloomberg. I fired your voice. I didn't been elected a lot earlier. I'll give, it, I'll give it a try. He's got a long arm. Thank you. Uh, can you uh, talk to us about two things, sir? One, since your conversation with President Xi of China, have you seen any indications of action or lack of action from China that has led you to believe whether they will intervene and help Russia either with the sale of arms or, uh, or the provision of supplies to support this war in Ukraine? And secondly, uh, can you say whether this, uh, the conversation today turned to the subject of food shortages and what the U.S. will do to address wheat shortages in particular as a result of this war? Thank you. On the first question relating to uh, President Xi Jinping of China, I had a, a very straightforward conversation with, with Xi uh, now, I guess it's uh, six days ago, seven days ago in that range. And uh, I... Uh, made it clear to him, I made no threats, but I made it clear to him that make sure he understood the consequences of him helping Russia, as had been reported and as, as what it was expected. And uh, I made no threats, but I pointed out the number of American and foreign corporations that left Russia as a consequence of their barbaric behavior. And I indicated that uh, I knew how much he, uh, because we had long discussions in the past, 
about his interest in making sure he had economic relations and economic growth with Europe and the United States and indicated that he'd be putting himself at significant jeopardy in those in those aims if, in fact, he were to move forward. I uh, am not going to comment on any detail about what we know or don't know as a consequence of that conversation. But uh, tomorrow is, is it tomorrow or next Monday that Ursula is having that conference with China. Uh, which, the first. On, on April 1st, we've had discussions because I think that um, uh, China understands that uh, its economic futures much more closely tied to the West uh, than it is to Russia. And so I, I, uh, I'm hopeful that he, uh, he does not get engaged. We also did discuss today that there's a need for us to set up NATO to set up and and the EU to set up a system whereby we have an organization looking at who has violated any of the sanctions and where and when and how they violated them. And that's something we're going to put in train. It's not done yet. So uh, with regard to uh, um, uh, Xi, I uh, I have not, nothing more to report. With regard to food shortage, yes, we did re, re, talk about food shortages. And, uh, and it's going to be real. The, the price of these sanctions is not just imposed upon Russia. It's imposed upon an awful lot of countries as well, including European countries and our country as well. And uh, because both uh, Russia and Ukraine have been the breadbasket of Europe in terms of wheat, for example, just give one example. But we had a long discussion uh, in the G7 with, uh, um, the, uh, with both uh, the United States, which has a, as a significant, the third largest producer of wheat in the world, as well as Canada, which is also a major, major producer. And we both talked about how we could increase and disseminate more rapidly food, food shortages. And in addition to that, we talked about uh, urging all the European countries and everyone else to end trade restrictions on on sending uh, limitations on sending food abroad. And so we are in the process of working out with our European friends what it would be, what it would take to help alleviate the concerns relative to uh, food shortages. We also talked about a significant major U.S. investment, among others, in terms of providing for the need for humanitarian assistance, including food, as we move forward. Um, uh, Tarina of the Wall Street Journal. Watch out, you don't get hit in the head there now. <laughs> Mr. President, in your view, does President Zelensky need to cede any Ukrainian territory in order to gain a ceasefire with Russia, or is that completely off the table? And then also, do you think uh, that Russia needs to be removed from the G20? On the latter point, my answer is yes. That depends on the G20. Um, I, that, that was raised today. and. Uh, I raise the possibility if that can't be done, if Indonesia and others do not agree, then we should, in my view, ask to have both uh, um, Ukraine uh, be able to attend the meetings as well as uh, 
Um, well, basically, Ukraine being able to attend the G20 meeting and observe. With regard to what was the first question? That is a total judgment based on Ukraine. Nothing about Ukraine without Ukraine. I don't believe that they're going to have to do that, but that's a judgment. There's negotiations that are discussions, I should say, that have taken place that I have not been part of, including the Ukrainians. And it's uh, it's it's their judgment to make. All right. You're listening to the president's address uh, at the uh, NATO summit in Brussels. We'll have more of that in a moment. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Uh, let me do this now. Let's uh, let me give you a pair of tickets. How about that? Right now, you have a chance to win tickets to the WBT 100th anniversary celebration. It's going to be on Saturday, April 9th at Halton Theater at CPCC. The 100th anniversary celebration is presented by the Center for TMJ and Sleep Apnea. And um, we're going to take caller number 11. And then you get tickets for this once-in-a-lifetime 100-year celebration with me and all of the other uh, folks at WBT, past and present. Winners are going to be emailed details uh, on how to get the tickets there. So uh, good luck. Caller number 11 at 704-570-1110 or 1-800-WBT-1110. Again, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. So the president uh, just finished his remarks in Brussels, he says, um, Joe Biden, I'm reading Charlie Spearing, he says, Joe Biden says you won't find a European leader who thinks he's not up to the job. I'd be very fortunate if I had that same man running against me. Okay. Uh, Biden on food shortages says it's going to be real. Uh, when it comes to elections, Biden says his focus is on retaining Democrat majority. Why are you asking him? Who asked him that? Retaining Democrat majorities in the House and Senate so he has room to continue his policies on the economy. Have you seen what your policies on the economy have been doing? Um, Michael Knowles from Daily Wire says, uh, out, winter of sickness and death, in, springtime of hunger and famine. Yeah. Um... Biden says, I plan on attempting to see those folks referring to Ukrainian refugees. Then he adds, I guess I'm not supposed to say where I'm going, am I? Oh, good God. He was doing so well, I thought, at the beginning. Although he was noticing he's reading from the list of names to call on people. And he said, oh, I, I got so many people. That's why I have the list. Yeah, Joe, that's why you have the list. Um, do, 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 do. John Harwood, oh, sorry, wrong thing. Joe Biden accidentally reveals he's going to meet with Ukrainian refugees. Uh, I guess he's not going to anymore. All right, so that's the latest on uh, on the president's comments there. He did say that he wanted Russia. You heard, uh, if you were listening to the earlier portion, you heard him say that he thinks that uh, Russia should be removed from the G20. If not, then the Ukraine should be admitted. We'll see. Um this is look I I see I do see value in alliances. I do. I see value in having alliances. Absolutely. 
And so I'm not one of these, get us out of NATO. I want to know what the alliance is about. I want to know what the, you know, what, what are the objectives? What are the foundational principles of the alliance? I would not be interested in, say, an alliance with the axis of evil. I would not be interested in that. Hence the whole evil part of it, right? No. But NATO defending Europe against Russian aggression seems like a pretty good, and, and, and historically, right, kind of worth it. But also, you know, threats from Germany can never, got to watch out for them. They try to take over the world twice, as Norm MacDonald, the late philosopher, uh, examined. But um, the United Nations, nah, not so much. And the way they govern themselves and they create their committees and they, um, um, they have human rights abusers leading the Human Rights Commission, that sort of stuff makes me think, not really worth our time and money. Get out. As a free marketeer, free market capitalist, and one who in, who believes in you know voluntary interactions and trade and that sort of thing, if we can have you know unilateral um, uh, trade agreements and the like with one country, just one, uh, you know me and you, and that's it, that's fine. And if you want to put a whole bunch of people together and everybody wants to work out something and it works for everybody, fine. I'm I'm okay with that too. Again, I'm an all of the above kind of guy. I like to have all the options. I like for everybody to have all the options, as many as possible, you know. And I just think it's an easier way. It gives everybody what they want, as much as possible. Anyway, let me get back to this uh, Charlotte Observer McClatchy editorial, where they, on the one hand, say that the Republican Party, uh, or uh, Madison Cawthorn, congressman from the mountains, and Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, that they have become the face of the Republican Party, Um Meanwhile, saying that the Republican Party doesn't like the fact that they are the face of the Republican Party and that there's a civil war going on over who is and is not the face of the Republican Party, while, of course, admitting no culpability, none of their fingerprints are anywhere near making Madison Cawthorn and Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson the face of the party. Um, they, they go on to say, there are plenty of Cawthorns in Congress right now, and even more of them are seeking public office in 2022. So far, none of them has been shunned by their party. Sorry, has the party shunned, has the Democratic Party shunned Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ayanna Presley, or any other member of the squad? Or how about the, the, the communist that's running for Congress up in uh, the Wake County area, Durham area? What's her name? Nida Alam, I think? Well... Anybody shunning her? Is the party shunning her? Don't call it a civil war, right? No, listen, Republicans, you have to shun the people that your opponents hate or else they're going to keep hating you. It's very clear. That's the standard.